Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a Blue Zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. All right, Adam, it is uh, so good to finally meet you. We've emailed back and forth a little bit, but uh, the bread, that's kind of the main thing that uh, we have gluten issues in my family. And so real sourdough and then trying to find a healthy alternative. And when I came across y'all, you were talking regenerative agriculture. It was just like speaking my language. It's just like singing to myself. So uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, PACA stands for and then uh, a little bit about how you source from regenerative farms and, and why that matters. So PACA is, well, first off, PACA, we make organic gluten-free bread, uh, but it's different than most of the breads that you find in the market, the gluten-free breads with a bunch of binders and fillers and kind of weird ingredients they're trying to ultimately mimic white bread we decided to go a different route and we're making just healthy organic sprouted sour wild sourdough gluten-free bread and it's very simple we actually just updated our recipes our buckwheat our plain buckwheat bread only has two ingredients now just buckwheat and salt and then we have a couple other recipes with some herbs and spices mixed into that base of buckwheat and salt and we sprout, we soak and sprout the buckwheat. So we do like an overnight soak and sprout and then we, we blend it and then we do another overnight ferment of the batter. So we get that wild sourdough with the natural wild yeast that's on the buckwheat, we don't add yeast. And then what you're left with is just a delicious, you know, sourdough buckwheat bread and it's super simple. So Adam, on that, the, what is your, your purpose, your reasoning behind the sprouting and fermenting of the buckwheat? So it's, you know, from a health perspective, um, buckwheat is a seed. It has lectins and phytic acid, and we're trying to remove the lectins and the phytic acid from the buckwheat to make it more digestible. Those are like what we call anti-nutrients. They, they bind to nutrients in your body and they prevent you from absorbing nutrients. So we're removing that. We're unlocking the, the potential um, nutrition in the buckwheat, making it more digestible. And we're also... Um, removing some of the, some of the starches so that your kind of like your ratio of, of, um, of nutrition is just better, more bang for your buck. I love it. Yeah. Susie Fallon has an amazing book, uh, ancient nutrition, I believe it is, or ancient traditions. Um, so actually just recently spoke with, uh, Jordan Rubin and he's a huge proponent of the sprouting and fermenting. And that's a, it's a, kind of a lost art, so I'm really excited that y'all are bringing that back with a product that's going to be in, in grocery stores. So you mentioned buckwheat. Why why is buckwheat seem to pop up when, when talking about regenerative agriculture so much? So buckwheat is an amazing crop to rotate in for a farmer that's growing wheat, you know, traditional wheat or heirloom wheat, as well as like other legumes and grains Buckwheat is just an incredible crop to rotate in and it can um, help prevent erosion. It attracts beneficial insects and bees. It can be then plowed back down into the earth to you know, feed the soil. So buckwheat's an incredible crop and it's used oftentimes in regenerative agriculture. 
just um, the cover crop aspect, the, the good for working with environment. What was your motivation for, for the regenerative farming support? been in food for quite a while. I had an organic catering company um, that I started back in 2007. First organic catering company in Southern California, like all organic in Southern California. We were doing events in LA and San Diego. And then we had, uh, we, we opened up a restaurant that was like 100%, everything made from scratch, farm the table, um, rotating menu. And it was in its time in 2013, it was pretty, um, it was a pretty new concept as far as like affordable farm to table food. There was plenty of like Michelin star restaurants around, but not too much affordable farm to table. So, um, and then from that restaurant was brewing kombucha and kind of had the idea for, for Beechcraft for the, um, for the brewery and started doing hard kombucha. And then just recently, you know, in 2020, we, we launched Pacha. And so throughout that whole entire run, um, food has always been central and always been working with farmers from day one and then seeing like, okay, okay. Yes. Organic. I want to do organic. And then like realizing and looking like, Oh wait, okay. Organic means a lot of things. And then some of these farmers though, they're doing things in a way that really uh, that makes sense. That's, you know, growing, making the soil more healthy. They're taking, you know, they're not taking more than the soil can handle they're giving back to the earth and they're benefiting the natural environment around them. And um, yeah, being with nonprofits and stuff too, luckily being on the board of nonprofits that are focused on regenerative agriculture and just, yeah, just be, getting my hands in it too. We've been growing food in our front and backyard um, and doing it like with, you know, regeneratively and doing like kind of no-till front and backyard gardening where we're like, you know, in the very beginning when it's like rock solid dirt that you've met, it's never been touched other than grass. We, we dig it up and amend it with compost. But after that point, we never dig it up. It's just like cut anytime time harvest something, just cut it, leave the roots in the ground, let everything break down and feed the soil and don't mess with the mycelial network and just let all the worms and all the bugs, you know, take care of the soil. And so I love it. So you're living it on all, all sides. Awesome. That, that might be a follow-up we need to do, Adam. <laughs> On the uh, culinary side with, with that farm today, but what, what advice would you give farmers on how, how to work with a restaurant or a food service um, to make it you know easier? I, I find that there's a disconnect there a lot of times because it's two different yeah. worlds coming together. So what advice do you have? Yeah, it's challenging. I mean, chefs on one hand are wanting, I think, to do more farm to table, but it's really challenging. So they end up just taking the easy route and ordering from a distributor that maybe has some organic stuff and maybe buys a couple things from local farms and they can just have it on their menu that they do a little bit. But it's really challenging to source, especially as a restaurant, to source from local farmers and like keep up to date because that's every single ingredient you're buying, you're buying it from a different farmer. And then a lot of farms don't have the time to kind of like deal with that type of thing. So they're, it's like for the farm, the farmer's like, yeah, you can come pick it up at this place, like random times and stuff. So I feel like we need a better distribution network for like to, to make that connection because it's just really challenging. I mean, some chefs will spend a good farm to table restaurant. The chef will spend 50% or more of their time sourcing 
which is hard for a chef to take all that time for sourcing, but it's in, that's what you need to do. Um, but yeah, just making it, just making the community, like having really good communication, I think is one that's hard. A lot of farms, their, their thing is like being on the farm and they don't really have a front person doing the communication. So having that front person that's like given really good communication, sending out the, um, the lists of things that are available, maybe even custom offering to custom grow things for restaurants. Like, hey, so that we can plan better, you tell me what you want, you know, seasonally and I'll grow it for you. And then you can take 100% of this crop that I grow or whatever percent that you want, you know. I think that's great advice. It's kind of where we've found ourselves with, with the market is being that in between. Let the fa- the farmer focus on, on growing, on, on what they do. Um, let us gather it, you know, source it. And then and then the chefs will come out through here to the market and then they, they load up on all there. So it's kind of like in between a, you know, a grocery store and a distribution for the chef. And and man, because there's so many moving parts, there's nothing easy about any one of those phases. And um, yeah, I think I think maybe what we need is we need more markets. I think we need more hubs because um, <laughs> the sourcing is a booger just in itself. Yeah, and farmers markets kind of used to be that, and they still are in like LA to some sense. Like farmers go to the markets in LA, but a lot of them have just become like prepared food and like jewelry and like you know just junk. There's like a bunch of junk, and underneath a ten by ten, they call it a farmers market. So you know, getting farmers markets, at least some markets, they're kind of more dedicated to like heavy produce, um, and even having like a lot of like maybe the first hour is like chefs only and chefs can come that's how some of the markets are in la where they'll open the vendors will open to chefs only for the first hour while they're kind of setting up and then they'll open it to the public so the chefs can get in they can park they can load they're not you know competing with all the the traffic of the big market well that's an interesting concept i've never thought about that one so adam what is uh what's next for y'all and how do we how do we let somebody that's going to the grocery store, how do we encourage them to make, make a decision on how you, how you source what you're, you're going to take home? That's a big one. I mean, I think for me, it's like, it comes pretty naturally because I've been doing it for so long where I'm really paying attention to the products I'm buying. We try not to buy anything or it's very little that has like plastic packaging. That's not, you know, like compostable, which is very little of the stuff out there is actually home compostable and you know trying to buy as much from the bulk sections and the and the produce section and um and then paying attention to the ingredients you know there's there's stuff hiding in every single thing out there like all the health foods the the nut milks with all the seed oils blended into them and um there's seed oils in everything i mean you go across the all the packaged goods aisle it's got seed oils in it and you know somehow we've been tricked into thinking some of these things are healthy and I think we just need to just educate ourselves and, and realize like some of these things really weren't meant for eating in bulk quantities and, um, and pay attention to the ingredients. You know, it's like, I don't want to call out brand names, but some of these big um, uh, alternative milks that have made, you know, blowing up that scene and they're just, they've got canola oil in them. And you're like, really? People are, people are touting this as a health, product and saying it's a better alternative to, to milk and it's got it's got canola oil in it and like 
Um, and that's the other thing I think too is uh, this idea that we can have um, that we can have healthy farms and healthy food without animals is, you know, I think we need we need animals on the farms. They're, they're there regardless. We're, we've just separated them. You know, if you go to a, a big organic operation, a big organic farm, there's gonna be piles of CAFO cow manure, like feedlot cow manure that they're using to fertilize their organic farm with. And so we're tricking ourselves into thinking that we're not supporting that system, but really we are supporting it unless we go back to the regenerative agriculture system where they have the animals on the farm and they're doing, they're doing meat and they're doing eggs and dairy, but they're doing it in a responsible way. And they have, you know, their own manure on site. And um, otherwise you're just fooling yourself and you're eating a bunch of like, you know, the alternative meats with the, the GMO soybeans or, you know, all that stuff. It's just like, you're, I think, you're, you're I think saying too, it beautifully. Yeah. The question too is like, what's not just better for the people, but also better for the planet. Cause ultimately that's going to be better for all of us. So anytime we have something that's being grown in, you know, millions of acre quantities in one spot, that's probably not a, a great thing for us to be consuming. Probably the more in line with nature we can get, the better. I think the, the biggest thing for me was the uh, relating like in Africa, the wildebeest and zebra in, in herds tight or, you know, here in, in America with bison, it's that, that's the grazing system that has built the most fertile land in the world, you know? And so like, that's what I love. And I'm so passionate about, you know, we work with, with specifically regenerative farms. That, that's who we're after on partnering with, because that's, what's going to build it back. Uh, man, you start going down some of these rabbit trails and seeing the soil degradation and uh, the nutrient depletion of the food we eat, it is terrifying. And you hit it on the head with that, that added sugar and those seed oils are terrible. Uh, not to mention all the preservatives and other junk that's in there. But uh, Adam, thank you, man. I think you laid that out wonderfully. Um, what's, so what's next for y'all? Well, we're growing Pacha. We're doing a lot of direct to consumer business right now. Uh, the grocery stores, I feel there's a disconnect between the buyer at the grocery stores and then the retail customer. They don't really understand the, the, the customer because we're seeing so much demand. We're shipping out all over the country. The demand is crazy. Like we can't keep up with the direct to consumer business. So we kind of put our, our grocery store pitching on pause a little bit because we just like, we can send it, you know, out at full margin, like sell, you know, sell the loaf of bread at the full price to the customer and not have all the middlemen. And the buyers were just not taken on it, even though their customers are begging for it. So I think this is going to take a little bit of time for the grocery stores to catch on to, to this product and other products like it. They're, you know, they just don't know what to think of it. They're like, well, this isn't white bread. It's not whole grain bread. It's different than what we're used to. But the, the demand is there. And so we're just ramping up our, our brand, you know, direct to consumer. And it's great because we have the relationship with the customer. And, you know, our goal, we're actually getting right now at the volume where we could start contract growing our buckwheat, which is amazing because, you know, we were just talking to another brand that makes a, it's a product called a little bucks and they make buckwheat snacks. And they just started contract growing um, their, um, their buckwheat from a regenerative certified regenerative farm. And they're getting it milled at the same mill that we buy our buckwheat from. So we were like, oh, okay, cool. Like, and the volume is pretty close. So I'm like, all right, we're ready for this. Like we can do this. 
So we're going to start trying to contract grow and get regenerative, regenerative certified buckwheat. And that was a big part of what we just did recently too, that I think for food manufacturing is, is really important. It's like we streamlined our supply chain and we were putting sunflower seeds and flax and all these other things in the bread. And we realized it wasn't necessary. And then it made our supply chain more complicated, but it also made it a lot harder for us to go out and um, contract grow something because we were buying less of everything. And from multiple, it's like, okay, now we have to try to source regenerative flax and regenerative, you know, sunflower and buckwheat. So now we're like really focused on the buckwheat and we can go out and try to source regenerative buckwheat and work directly with a farmer. And I'm really excited about that. That's going to be awesome once we can get that certified regenerative. Congratulations. Well, well, we'll do everything we can to, to support y'all. Where can somebody that might be interested if they're, you know, they're not close to, we do carry your products at, at me and McGee, but if anybody else is, is wanting to order directly from you, what's the best way to learn more and then place an order? Place an order. Our website, livepacha, L-I-V-E-P-A-C-H-A, is like the direct, you know, the direct way to buy from us. There's some stores, uh, Southern California, there's about like 70 grocery stores and you can go to our website and kind of like find out what stores carry us. There's a couple stores in Hawaii um, and LA and San Diego. And that's pretty much it right now as far as grocery stores and your store. <laughs> and there's, there's actually some stores that buy from us like direct from our website. And I don't really know exactly which ones, but occasionally there's like one little store that starts buying cases, you know, from us. Um, but aside from that, yeah, just direct from us. And um, yeah, it's, you know, if you buy by the case, you can basically like almost negate the shipping costs and it's kind of like buying it retail. And our bread freezes really well. So you can throw the stuff that you're not going to eat right away in the freezer. And that's, and, you know, we can do a discount code for people that are um, trying it for the first time. I think it's uh, Live Pacha 25. Live Pacha 25. Well, we'll put it, we'll put it in the, in there too. When, when we post this video, make sure they can get that. Well, thank you for the code. That's a, that's awesome. Well, Adam, you got anything else, brother? Um, it's been, it's been a pleasure visiting. It's, it warms my heart to know we've got as many people passionate about this as we do. It's a, it's really hopeful. Yeah. I'd say one more thing that, I mean, we're, we've, we touched on it a little bit, but um, one thing that we're really passionate about that I think is, I think it's really important in this whole conversation is just the, all the packaging waste that is, is out there. And so our product, you know, we went out and sourced the only um, home compostable vacuum seal bag that we could find in the whole world. It's coming from Australia. We're hoping that more people are going to invest in that technology. It's going to become more prolific. So right now we're sourcing them from Australia, but we've composted thousands of those of our bread bags in our backyard compost and they're all disappeared, you know, so, so the technology. Well, what do you think there, do you, you just take the bag and you put you make you put it in there with your compost and it just gets decomposed. Yep, it just decomposes and like literally thousands of them out there in a matter of month, you know, in a matter of a year or something. So they're so so they it works. The technology's out there, and we just need more brands to be doing that. You know, there's almost every package you see on the shelf that's made of plastic or some combination of plastic and other stuff it's one, it's not recyclable, even if it says it is. And like only, I think there's a, there's a documentary, the story of plastic It's heart wrenching, but it's a really good one for people to watch. And it talks about how like only 8% of actual plastic that says it's recyclable, that's being recycled is actually being recycled. The rest is being burned or put in landfills. And then 
only 3% of that is actually recycled into something that could be recycled again. So most of it's being recycled into like a plastic bag and then it is being thrown away or burned or whatever the next time around. So I think we just had, and we're shipping it all overseas and, you know, it's going to third world countries and they're burning it out there and sifting through it and kids are getting cancer in those places. And so we're, you know, we're pushing the problem away, but at some point we're going to have to face it that we have a plastic problem. And, you know, it's really the consumer. I mean, there's a, there's a problem on all ends of the spectrum in the production to the manufacturers, the, the companies, as well as the consumer, but the consumer has a lot of power and, you know, if they just start demanding products, like ca calling their companies that they buy products from and saying like, hey, I'm not going to buy your product anymore until you switch to home compostable packaging or put it in a jar or, you know, whatever, like give me a package that can either be indefinitely recycled like aluminum or glass or, or put it in home compostable packaging. I think you hit the nail on the head with that too. The consumer has really all the control. Um, yeah. part of it. and then the brands too you know if you're a man if you're a brand manufacturing products i know it's it can be more expensive and it's harder to find and maybe it doesn't work as well as the plastic alternative but you know it's just it's just worth it to make the change and start investing in it so that we get that ball rolling and then more and more people are aware of it love it great points great great ending point well, Adam, thank you for your time, buddy. And uh, we're gonna we'll be sampling our uh, our buckwheat breads out here, and uh, make sure everybody knows about Paco. All right, thanks so much, Logan. Thank you, buddy. Yeah.